Welcome to our new podcast series, Gaia Says No, Africa, in which we will explore the nature and impact of human behaviours on the continent. Welcome to the final episode in this series of Gaia Says No, looking at Africa and sustainability. We've been on a journey across the continent over the last four weeks, and we've looked at all the issues around energy resilience, the culture, the politics, but I suppose the real point will be, what does the future hold for Africa? Africa is one of those places that I think the world is looking to as an untapped uh, resource, a place that's going to shift radically over the next 30, 40 years from what it was in the 20th century. It's got riches in terms of the number of people, the education levels of the people, the raw materials, the resources, the ability to try and jump technologies that we looked at. And what we want to explore in this final episode is what our experts think future sustainability looks like. So I'm joined once again by uh, William Pollan uh, from uh, Invest in Africa. William, how are you? You're in Africa still for me. You're in Ghana, is that right? Correct, Sammy. I'm, I'm feeling very reflective, would summarise my mood. Very reflective. Excellent. That's what I want to hear. And uh, we're joined by two other special guests today. So also in Ghana, we've got Charlotte uh, Asedu. Uh, Charlotte, how are you? Yes, I'm doing very well. And it's nice to meet you and to have this conversation about sustainability <laughs> in the African continent. And you're in a different bit of Ghana, I think, from, uh, from uh, William, aren't you? Where, where, which city or place are you in? Yeah, I am in Obuasi in the Ashanti region. William is in Accra, the capital. If you want to go by car, about three and a half to four hours drive apart. And describe to our listeners, what sort of place is it? Is it a sort of a more agricultural place? Or is it another city? What sort of area is that? So, um, Obuasi, it's actually a gold mining town. That is where Anglagood Ashanti has its biggest mine. And so uh, it's actually uh, mining activities. And also you have local people going to small scale mining. Yeah. There's a lot bit of agriculture. Uh, the farmers grow cocoa and then oranges, basically. And then also staple food, cassava, plantain, and some vegetables. But generally the town is mainly dependent on the mine, the gold mine, Anglaguda Shanti, for the majority of the economic activity. Recently, um, a university campus has been opened and that's sort of kind of opening up uh, the economy a bit with uh, investing in a lot of students and boosting their economic activity other than the mining. But about 80% dependencies on the mine and the revenue that comes from the mine to the town, basically. Is it one of those places that, you know, um, is, is very much a, a town where people accept some level of environmental destruction the revenue because if it's a mining town i've been to a couple of mining towns and people you know if you're not from the mining town you're going this is terrible this is awful but the people who live in mining towns generally think hang on a second this is my livelihood this is finance what would you say that the the the, the people who live there feel about the mining that goes on for for here as you said it's right it looks like we accept a bit of the environmental degradation in the way to create livelihood so, for example, the Anglo-Gold and Shati does a responsible mining, yes, technically, but with the local people into the small-scale mining, we call it galamse in our local dialect. Usually, it's an, an open-pit surface mining, and sometimes farms and lands that are meant for agriculture 
outsold by the farmers themselves and the yeah. chiefs themselves to have it used for mining because of the money that comes with it. So people yeah. kind of accept it and more like, yes, I need the money to take care and put food on my table. So whatever this environmental thing you're talking about, take my land. <laughs> Now, get a gold and give me the money I need. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and why wouldn't they? I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlotte. And also joining us uh, from Namibia, uh, no doubts. This is great. We've got Congeni Ntinda. Have I got Ntinda right? Is that is that right, Congeni? Have I spelled? Yes, spot on. You're getting the grip of things. <laughs> so tell tell us uh, tell our audience about where you are in Namibia, what sort of country Namibia is like? Well, uh, thank you for the invite and very good day to all listeners around the world. Namibia is situated in the southern west region of Africa. We're just below to our south is South Africa and to the north of Namibia is Angola and to the east of Namibia is Botswana and to the northwest, northeast is uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. So. We're, we've got a coastline along the Atlantic Ocean, and we've got a, a harbor city called Valvas Bay, where all our cargo um, port docks in. And we're a mineral resource-rich country with diamonds, gold, copper, uranium. So we're one of those African countries that are blessed in terms of natural resources. So we're based in Southern Africa. And uh, am I right? Is it the Skeleton Coast? Is that is that Namibia? I think you've been here before. It's the Skeleton Coast, indeed. No, no. I have a friend who went there. He said it's the most extraordinary place he's ever been. But sort of shipwrecks and you know, but but a, a, a beautiful but desolate sort of land, but incredibly diverse. He said Namibia is from sort of deserts to jungles to, as you say, lots of what massive natural resources. Yes, the Skeleton Coast is along the Atlantic coast uh, on the western side of the country and it's a magnet for tourism as we receive tourists from all over the world that come uh, to view the Skeleton Coast. So yes, indeed, it, it is a very lovely place. I haven't been there myself, but um, from what I've heard, it's, it's beautiful. Excellent. And William, you're there and obviously I think for most of the, the listeners will have known what Invest in Africa is doing, but obviously Charlotte works with you. So can you explain a little bit about what Invest in Africa is doing in various countries so we can get a real idea of what the aim is of the group. Yeah, sure. The work of Invest in Africa is entirely focused on improving capacity and capability of local, small and medium-sized enterprises, so SMEs in, uh, in, the, in the lingo. So we work with corporate supply chains and with international development bodies to fund our activities that help local businesses, small local businesses, uh, gain the skills, competencies, certification, um, and, and sort of business acumen, so ability to plan their business, have the right governance, have the right management of the financials, so that they can truly scale up and um, not only supply to larger domestic corporates, but multinationals, international companies, and we hope themselves become larger players and, and make the most of opportunities like the free trade agreement across across the continent. So we're trying to help small local businesses really scale up and become big players themselves. And Charlotte works with you, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Charlotte's running a really important project for us, um, as she said, in the north of Ghana with Anglo Ashanti Gold. Um, and we're doing there is a sort of classic supplier development and diversification program. So the gold mine has that um, typical challenge of not wanting to create a local business community that is totally dependent on the mine for their business. Um, and so they have employed us to develop the suppliers in their supply chain and those that aren't supplying them to diversify their business model so that they are not totally dependent on the mine for contracts and for um, sustainable growth. 
So it's a it's a it's a sort of classic piece of work that we do with both of diversification and their job creation element to it. Charlotte, how do you find yourself in this role? Because you know you've you've got a background in sustainability. Do you find this difficult? If you don't ask, mind me asking a personal question, that you're working with a gold mine and yet you're from a sustainable background. And as I said at the beginning, you know, when we started, that you know, gold mining is not a very sustainable kind of business when it comes to the environment. How have you squared that 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 feeling, or do you feel that you kind of this is the way to do it? You've got to work with many of these companies for the reasons you said that they are the financial lifeline, even if they are disruptive to the environment and maybe you can bring something to it yes gold mining and gold is not a you say like a future fit sustainability business you want to be in but then sustainability i always say it's a journey and and africa and ghana in in this place we're also progressing on this journey and we've been living our lives this thing before we all became aware that all our activities are our environment and its negative consequences on us so it's so it's a process so being part of this with my background in sustainability yes a perfect a fully sustainable place our community wouldn't have gold mines you know but that is all we have and so far that's 200,000 people in the town and so um over the years now we we were of the natural environment to protect and people's livelihood and social sustainability whereby people are able to meet the needs and all barriers that undermine their capacity to meet these needs are removed. And so to be part of this project, for me, this Anglico project actually started with a conversation about two years ago that I had with a sustainability manager, the former Australian ambassador to High Commissioner to Ghana. That was His Excellency Barnes. So there was a conversation about sustainability and mining and mining communities. And that was where I raised this concern in the presence of the top management of Anglo go there. You are in Obwasi and everybody in the town solely depends on the mine with nothing else to be left for the community should the mine close down or after the lifetime of the mine. And sometimes you come in with, yeah, we've set up this project here, water here, we set up a market here, which is not actually making any economic or social impact in people's lives. The young people who are there and they look so helpless with no aim running around. So how about you now look at building businesses and using entrepreneurship as a tool to build the capacity of the people in the in the town of Wase so that other businesses can be vibrant and not everybody depends on the mine for livelihood to be employed or to get contracts. So it was really great to know that about one and a half years down the line, Anglo Ashanti decides to go that way through the conversation we had at his excellent bounce residence about two, one and a half years ago, and to start a program like an enterprise development program whereby you want to be building the capacity of, of businesses or SMEs to thrive and to create jobs, sustainable, decent jobs, you know. And the part that we also interested in bringing women on board in this program. So when I was called to manage that program, it was like, wow, this is really nice, something we've really been talking about over the years and it's really happening. So for me, it's a joy for me. It's for, it's for me, I feel it is progress. Yeah. That the mining, yes, the, 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 the mining company, Uncle Glashanti, realizes that, that it is not enough to just set up schools. It is not enough to just support the municipal assemblies with projects when uh, the human resources in the town and especially the youth are not being developed. So, yes, it, we haven't reached that. There's so much to do or Uncle Glashanti to do or the mining company to do. But for me, this is a step in the right direction. And it makes me really glad to know that at least that step has been taken. 
and hoping that we'll do more that brings a real change and full sustainability to the town. Yeah. You know, it's really refreshing what you just said there, Charlotte. I think, you know, most of us here in the West, in Europe, we, we have a view that sustainability in Africa is giving people some crops or some nets to go fishing. And, you know, it's all about kind of something green and leaves and plants and whatever. We don't think about sustainability as reskilling people who worked in a mine or helping a new generation develop or new businesses develop. So do you think we have a very skewed view of what sustainability is in Africa? It is a yes and no. Yes, in the sense that sustainability is so broad and you can't use one definition for everybody on the planet and the different continents and different countries. Because every place you're in Africa, we have our own culture and our value systems and our faith systems. And so um, the overarching definition will be true that meeting our needs in the present generation without undermining or risking future generations to meet their needs. But how we achieve those objectives it will, is different for Africa and is different from the West or the different countries on the planet, I'll put it that way. And so I think the worst, it's more of green, green uh, to reduce consumption, because for me, I'll say social sustainability in a larger extent is achieved there. So now more focus is on environmental sustainability, which is right. In Africa, we, have, we even consume less than we should. Let me put it that way. Yes. When you go to a lot of communities in terms of energy consumption is so much low in terms of even food and water consumption it's not even available you know and so consumption level we even want to up it to be able to develop use more energy to be able to develop but then the aspect of social sustainability for us i think it's more of a priority than the environmental sustainability saying that doesn't mean that put environmental sustainability aside but in as much as we're trying to get full sustainability that our whole focus is not only on social sustainability so i think that for the worst and that definition and focus on going and plant trees, bending. let me use my beautiful country, Ghana, for example. We've not really bought into that idea yet. You yeah. know, people yeah. are not even getting enough to fish, enough fish. And you're saying go plant trees. <laughs> the cocoa is not even bearing enough fruit for them to get their livelihood, you know. And you tell me plant tick, you know, to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So a lot of people or local people don't really resonate with that definition yet unless we can translate it into, for them to see how it impacts their daily lives and livelihood. So for me, I think that is what is missing. Just to bring it that it's green. A lot of people, yes, yeah, scientists say climate change and climate um, change is really happening and it's true. The educated people were experiencing, but a lot of that, let me say, semi-electricity or people who don't understand these scientific things, and are unable to read to get much information for them. For them, it's about their livelihoods. Of course. And so I think in terms of achieving what sustainability means, the objective is the same. And it works across board because it's a sustainable global society that we want. But the means to achieve their priorities and the different agendas is different from Africa compared to the rest of the world. And we need to pay attention to that. Otherwise, we might not get any impact. And you bring all the money and all the dollars to plant trees and nothing is going to happen. Brilliant. That's, I think that you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, Kunjani, let me turn to you. Now, I should have said this at the beginning, but you, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're part of the Namibia Energy Institute, uh, you know, part of the Namibia University. So when you look at it as a, an academic, but also someone who's been involved in the oil and gas industry, do you agree with what Charlotte said there, that the model 
for future sustainability can't be the same model that we have in the West. Because she just summed it up brilliantly. You know, I haven't got enough, there's no point in me planting trees when I need some food. You know, I, I need to look at different models. So when you look at Africa as a whole, I know it's difficult to look at a continent, but would you say that the West or whoever else is investing has to have a very different idea what sustainability will mean in the future for Africans as opposed to people, say, living in Europe? Uh, thank you there. Uh, I definitely agree with Charlotte there. Um, the model that has to be applied in Africa. Remember, Africa has got 1.2 billion people. And out of that 1.2 billion population is divided into about 55 uh, different states. Now, the, the culture, the, the business patterns, the economies of those 55 countries, they vary in, in dramatic proportions in terms of uh, the GDP, uh, unemployment rate, uh, resource, natural resource beneficiation, and so forth. So, but then Africa is also divided into economic zones um, in, in terms of economic blocks. You'll find that in West Africa, they have what you call ECOWAS, uh, the economic community of Western African states. In Southern Africa, we've got what you call SADC, Southern African Development Community. And in East Africa, you've got the East Africa community. And then you've also got the Center for Central African States in Central Africa. And then obviously you also have uh, above Sub-Sahara is, is North Africa. They've also got the, the Maghreb Union. So within these different um, economic zones, integration uh, in terms of policy planning, uh, sustainability development is what's key to actually have a type of uniform structure in terms of getting sustainable development goals running. I'd also like to add, with, with, the, with the recently launched Africa Free Trade Continental um, Agreement, this opens up a lot of opportunities for African countries to actually start integrating uh, trading because you'll find that markets, what's happening in Southern Africa, uh, there's very little trading activity, for instance, in Western Africa or even possibly East Africa or Central Africa. But once these economic zones, these economic blocks, they become more interconnected, the volume of trade will increase uh, dramatically. And in terms of sustainability, the policy planning at that level can actually help galvanize uh, development issues across the continent. And I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, as Charlotte put it earlier, you know, we're here in the West, we've got on with the social kind of sustainability far more, even though obviously there is poverty uh, in every nation, but it's, it's far less than it is in, in the continent. So are the regulatory frameworks there Gunjeni uh, right now to start to say you know in future Africa will go ahead with a framework for sustainability or do you think it'll always be very much a state-by-state -state basis? Um, I think it's going to be state-by-state -state because uh, we haven't fully integrated um, our economic zones although we, we, we belong to, to specific uh, economic blocks like uh, ECOWAS and SADC Countries do a lot of um, uh, individual planning, although there are bilateral and multilateral agreements that take effect, but these don't dominate the development news. I just want to give you some indicators. Uh, more than half of the world's poor, more than half of the global poor are actually found in Africa that live under one 
$1.99. So that, that's a staggering number, which means that yeah. those who are less fortunate, half of them are found on the continent. Now, that's a generic problem. Uh, it's no more a challenge because it, it, it's actually a crisis. So one in three Africans are at risk of food security. And that, that creates another development issue because in terms of planning, we need to look at comparative advantages. How do we sustain ourselves in terms of food supply, in terms of social development, uh, housing and so forth, so that across board, that the, the development indicators actually achieve uh, what they ought to, uh, to be. Now, when you have uh, the sustainable development goals, which I want to, to look at because we're talking about sustainability, you'll find that um, maybe few of them, I would say three of them, Africa is on track to meet them. And these are SDG5, which looks at gender equality. We're finding more women coming onto, into the mainstream uh, economy. Yeah. Uh, SDG13, climate action. Mm -hmm. Africa actually contributes uh, less than 2% in terms of greenhouse gases um, in the world. And as well as SDG 15, life on land. So these types of ecosystems are being managed far better and they're actually helping in terms of Africa meeting the sustainable development goals. But I've only mentioned three out of 17 where Africa is actually on track. The rest, um, Africa is actually lagging behind and therefore there's a lot of commitment that needs to go into achieving the rest of uh, those development goals. In terms of SDG financing, I also want to give you a quick number. Um, about 500 billion US dollars to 1.5 trillion US dollars is needed to actually finance the SDGs on the African continent. So we've got about nine more years before we reach 2030. So the 2030 agenda um, is very much on, on, on Africa's radar and that's a massive amount that's required uh, to bring about uh, development on the continent. That's a very good point. And we've got COP taking place uh, this autumn in, in, in Glasgow in the UK. Um, William, on that point about the money, and that is a staggering figure that Jenny just, just, just mentioned. Um, do you feel that all the things we've just discussed there about kind of looking at it in a different way, you've got to look at where Africa is right now, you've got to look at the level of poverty, you've got to look at exactly what Charlotte said about kind of what people's needs are. Is the money that is needed going to come and will it come for the right reasons? And in that sense, what I mean is the right reason being long-term sustainable as a big word, not the specifics of environmental sustainability, the general word of sustainability, to, to, to lift the people of this continent. What's your view about that, that money and the appetite for you know, investment funds and corporate companies, etc. And, and also, dare I say, the money that's in, in Africa itself to invest in itself to do this. I would, I, I would go glass um, half full and say yes, for, for two reasons. One, the international investment community has moved and is moving in that direction anyway. So any money that comes into the continent from a regulated environment, be it Europe or America's, will have that expectation and requirement around it. They'll have um, ESG and sustainability yeah. criteria. Yeah. Now, of course, there will always be your unilateral government-to-government -government agreements uh, that may not include that. Um, however, they're also one of the largest investors within Africa, intra-African investment, is the African pension funds, 
themselves. And they will have similar criteria. Um, and, and so they will be looking for the returns and the money will flow where the returns will be made. And with the way that the um, investment sentiment and the expectations around uh, delivering sustainability, the withdrawal of the big international development bodies from big fossil fuel projects that we talked about on the last episode, um, as well as the increasing expectation of the young population that is coming through and that younger population is now starting to take up leadership positions in business. And so they're only 10 years away from being the future CEOs who will set the agenda. Um, and, and for them, it's, it's, it's a now matter. It's a relevant matter that they've grown up with. And it's something that their children will expect to be delivered on. So with time, uh, the generational expectation will kick in and social media will help drive that. So I believe that, yes, um, the money will flow uh, for the right reasons, but not necessarily everywhere all the time. No, and that's a fair point. Well, Charlotte, you're a young person, okay? And I can say that because I'm so very, very old. Um, what do the young people want? You know, because they're a connected generation, right? Compared to my generation, they're, you know, a young person growing up in, uh, you know, Ghana, Namibia, Calcutta, wherever, it doesn't matter where you are, right? In India, mm, Indonesia is not that different from a young person growing up in sort of London or New York, right? They get the same social media, they get the same Instagram, they're doing the same stuff. So they're also reading the same news. That's the great thing about the internet is that you can read the news from around the world. Do you believe that the young people of Africa will have a very different view of what sustainability means and how important it will be for them as they become as William said, the CEOs of the future, that they take this in mind, not perhaps what their, their predecessors did, which is, hey, we've got to make, for good reasons, you know, we've got to make money and lift ourselves out of poverty. They might think we want to do that. We want to do that in an environmental and a sustainable way. Yeah, for me, placing myself as a young person, myself, sustainability will mean equal opportunities. Right. So, yes, open to opportunities and the opportunities being available and also having the skills to assess the opportunities. I believe there are a lot of um, opportunities here in Africa, but sometimes are you able to see it? And are you able to, do you have the right um, skill sets to take advantage of these uh, opportunities that are available? I say this because um, I, I want to use the young people in this gold mining town, that some of them have been to school. There are some of them who don't even have the education to be able yeah. to even what the mine has to offer. And so as a young person in that category, you want capacity building. So for our sustainability, I have the right skills. I am equipped with the capacity to meet my own needs. So I don't need, we don't need someone to come like push money into my business or not. But do I have the right training to explore the opportunities to turn the businesses we are setting up around? I'm an entrepreneur myself too, with a business. So a future CEO, just like you said, and as, as William said. So what am I also um, um, am I looking for? Skills, yes, access to finance and the, the right links. It will still come as opportunities. So uh, if I have someone my age in the worst, part of the institutions that are available that help the person to explore the opportunities for their businesses, to either export or to deal with other big businesses. But here, except for what, let's say, organizations like um, Invest in Africa is doing, whereby we're creating the market linkages. If you started a business, it's more like you're on your own and you can have all those great ideas. 
but where are the opportunities? Who guides you? Where is that mentorship? Where is that coaching? To build whatever business or whatever ideas you have to excel. And so for us, call opportunities, having the skill set and the capacity to explore the opportunities that, that are around and have an institutional framework that supports young people and the initiatives that they take. For us from that perspective, that was what I would say. What would you say about older people, right? The people who are in power now. Are they, you know, we're having a struggle in this country uh, as well, but I think, you know, the people who are in power are having to listen to the voice of the youth. Do you think that's happening in Africa? Or is that still a little bit, it's, it's still very difficult for the young person that's working for the older guy or, or lady to say, hang on a second, here's an idea, here's a way we can do this, here's a way that's more sustainable. Or, or will they just have to wait their turn? <laughs> But for what I can say, you know, African, let me say Ghana, um, the population is young people. Their yeah. average age, yes, we're young. And so you also have young people, 35 below, in positions of also decision-making and making inputs. Right. Yes. yes. Culture is one thing that plays a role. You were talking about how if you, old people are also having a challenge or that. It's one, like, one of the cultures that we all grew up is when an adult speaks, you don't talk back as a young person to the person. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you are right as a young person, you are the one who apologizes. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you sound like you're Indian. You're the same yeah. as the Indian. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that here too, you know. You yeah. apologize. And now we have a new breed of young people that uh, with the internet, we are coming, becoming more aware of our rights. And young people are starting to feel like the, there's some kind of right we're supposed to benefit and our countries and our continent own to us. And so now we speak up more and that now is creating this challenge for the older people. They feel the young people of today are disrespectful in quotes, you know? <laughs> yes. And that we don't listen to advice, but now we scrutinize the advice that is given. The fact that your mothers couldn't reach a certain level doesn't mean you can't get there. Young people feel they can go past wherever generational limitations that our countries place on us. And so this is also creating its own challenges here in the country, uh, in Ghana and elsewhere in the, on the African continent, that, that kind of struggle and the old mindset. So it looks like something is changing and it's quite, it's, it's painful, you know, it's not so pleasant that a young people can stand up and demand things. And this is how things must be done in such a, in governance. Now young people are becoming very uh, vocal in governance demanding more from our leaders so that we can also thrive. And so there's, there's this change, a cultural mindset and the new thing that is coming and the kind of struggle that is happening. But I think it will bring something beautiful that it will help our continent to thrive and help the country to grow. So we'll see how the change goes, but this change, it, we, I feel like um, it shouldn't just be left to happen. There should be chain leaders and agents that will see how we kind of navigate through this road in order to get to where we want to be. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, Conjeni, you teach young people, don't you? You're a, you're in the university, so they're after you now. You're, they're coming for you. What do you think about the youth of Africa and how switched on they they will be to break down some of these perhaps cultural barriers? to make the difference when it comes to sustainability. Yes, I'm happy we, we're speaking about young people because in Africa's got the highest um, number of young people, growing young, young people in the world. 
So estimates have it that by the year 2040, um, Africa will have the largest population of young people in the world. So with, 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 the, with the advent of technology and, and internet connectivity, this creates massive opportunities for, for the African continent because these young people, like you, like you rightly said, um, more, more mobile devices are now with more young people, which means social media plays a big role in, in their personal development and, and uh, professional development. The news they get from somebody in New York or in London or in Tokyo, it's exactly the same. Yes. So they have knowledge at their disposal. They're beyond Africa, aren't they? They're not just where they were 10, 15 years. Exactly. The world has actually become more connected now with, with social media. So the, the young people are going to take advantage of uh, the technology boom, especially in terms of ICT. Um, the International uh, Trade Center had a report called Business and Policy, Mapping E-Marketplaces in Africa. And this report outlines that um, there are about 631 online marketplaces which recorded about 2.2 billion visits in 2019 by marketplaces i mean online marketplaces these are your amazons your ebays and so forth um, so you've got a lot of them floating around the african continent and these are actually helping to drive trade and these online marketplaces are actually driven by young people so that gives you an idea of how digital economic integration can take place for africa uh, as well as digital social inclusion, which means that with the African Free Trade Agreement that's been uh, recently signed, you, you are going to find more trading activity happening amongst uh, African entrepreneurs. So you will find that new markets will arise. And when new markets arise, it creates new business opportunities. And these new business opportunities provide uh, employment, um, in any economy, uh, the small medium enterprises are usually the drivers of such economies. Africa is moving away from large scale corporations, uh, overburdened uh, government institutions that uh, take up a lot of uh, employment and so forth. So the future is really moving towards one of, of innovation, science and technology. And with, with such a large number of young uh, growing people on the continent, uh, with social media and technology at their disposal, the prospects only look good. That's a, that's a great thing. Um, we've sadly run out of time. I want to just end by looking forward. And, you know, and I think we've touched a bit of that uh, now. Let's, let's start with you, William, as, as the outsider, as the non-African, but you spend a lot of time there, you know, and thank you for helping us create this series over the last few weeks. What would, your, what would your message be to people who are listening in, who know nothing about what Africa has to offer, who, who have no idea what's going on in terms of the sort of sustainable journey there? It's a market worth looking at, isn't it? It's a place worth investigating, isn't it? And it's not just one place. It's, as we said, 50 different places. Yeah, absolutely, Summit. And it's hard to summarise without, without sounding cliched, but, you know, wh why would you invest somewhere else when the, the future is literally in Africa. You have a vast number of uh, the population, vast majority under the age of 35, um, and even larger number under the age of uh, 25. Um, and so it is demographically, physically, literally, metaphorically the future. Um, and you look at the technology leaps that are being made across the continent, whether, whether it be through mobile money, where, by the way, many African markets are way ahead of what we do in the UK. 
um, or if it's off-grid solar solutions. Um, as Congenia was just saying, the future is technology, the future is youth. Uh, so you put the two together and that spells Africa. And uh, the expectation is you don't come here and do business as normal. You need to plan and consider carefully um, sustainability and not just trees and wind and emissions, but in terms of equal opportunities, promoting um, a, a women and youth agenda is often very important and relevant um, and, and diversity and inclusiveness. And if you come with that mindset and you truly understand and you take the time to understand what those things mean, then you have every chance of a long-term growing business. Uh, and that's not just in your traditional extractives and energy sectors. There's huge growth here in manufacturing, textiles, agriculture, FMCG, everything that you would expect of um, a continent that has the largest and fastest growing middle class in the world. Kunjeni, you, you've seen a lot of things. You teach the young. You've given a brilliant account of kind of where we are. Do, do you think we've got the frameworks across the continent? Because that's at the end of the day, hate to say the dirty P word, but politics always has a, a role in this. Are you, are you hopeful that the politicians will change or if not, they'll get replaced? and that Africa can go on a really great, sustainable uh, and growth journey over the next 10, 20 years? I, I tell you what, um, they will definitely be replaced. <laughs> 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 and, and you're gonna see a lot of younger people actually uh, staking a claim for public office. I want to give you an example of the recently held elections in, in Uganda. Um, there's a long-running president, long-serving president, uh, Yoweri Museveni. He's in his 70s now, and he had a young challenger. So this young challenger became the main opposition leader. So with time, you, you will find that the older generation will naturally have to phase out, and this makes room for, for younger leaders. Now, when younger leaders take uh, public office, they come with a different mindset than the elder generation. Yeah. Uh, like, like, like Charlotte was saying, um, you know, in Africa, there's a culture that you don't speak back to elders. But here you have young, young, young leaders challenging the very elders that they're not supposed to be challenging. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it, it's not just going to happen in Uganda. You're going to see it littering all over the continent. And with these young faces that are going to eventually take up public office, they are going to infuse contemporary uh, development policies in, in, in their political uh, regimes. And these uh, development policies will be aligned with, with, with concepts like the fourth industrial revolution, um, uh, AI, artificial intelligence. So you're gonna see the planning, the, the policy planning uh, evolve from, from uh, the pre-Cold War uh, era to, to a very modern, uh, sophisticated one that incorporates globalization. So I, I, I'll tell you, if we have this discussion in five years' time, um, you might find that uh, Charlotte has become Ghana's new Minister of Trade. <laughs> I think she's already there. And I think we should end with you, Charlotte. You, you are the future. You've said some brilliant things. For, for, for the, the listeners here, uh, as I said with William, uh, is it time to rethink our view of Africa? As a young African woman, what would you say to us? Yeah, for me, uh, in sustainability, the young African woman, a major thing is uh, mindset change. 
because culturally, uh, women is like, there's a place for you. You need to be submissive. <laughs> and so even when we set up businesses, a lot of them, a lot of women, there was a statistic that said that women have the highest um, SMEs, women have the highest number. But when you check, a lot of the women businesses are micro. So mm. just enough to take out my children and my husband and my family. And so I think in the sustainability journey in terms of gender equality and women, there should be a lot more empowerment to build confidence, empowerment to challenge the status quo, empowerment to be more than what you are told to be as an African woman. And that comes to cultural sets. So if there's money to do sustainability work, the, the framework underlining it should have a mindset change, a paradigm shift for what you are and what you can be. Because if you don't have that mindset change, it's like you have it and you are putting this, the mindset is there and it's just like um, bronze and you're just gold plating it. Inwardly, nothing has really changed. So I feel you can, no one create sustainability for you. The people themselves must be empowered to create a sustainable future we want. So Ghana here, the West can't create sustainability or sustainable development for us as a continent. So we need to empower ourselves, whichever way, whatever framework is coming in. The underlying should be mindset and culture change. And also one thing I also think it comes in, we don't look at this sustainability. A lot of African countries, as Africans, we, a majority of us have faith, faith-based thing, either a faith in religion, faith in something, yes. a supreme yes. being. And you can't rule that out. There should be a way whereby this feeling is linked to the sustainability journey. And I think with that, it has a path it can create for us and it can be efficient. We need to get our own tools that work for us and work with it. That's what I would say to end with. Well, I look forward to you being prime minister very soon, Charlotte. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte, uh, Congeni, thank you so much for your inputs. Uh, William, been a great series i've really enjoyed it and you know thanks to all the previous speakers over the last four weeks i hope you've enjoyed this series of guys as no we've really enjoyed bringing you a taste of what africa has and i think it's been a uh, you know it's been a personal aim of mine and hopefully one day i'll get to the continent i've only been to north africa so i want to go and explore and you know perhaps we can make some sort of documentaries about the work that you're all doing but i think it's a great point to end to say there's a lot around the story of africa a, a lot worth exploring and uh, i'd say to everyone uh, have another thing thanks for listening to this series make sure you download it you subscribe you like it and for now goodbye